This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Hey, everybody. This is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Uh, two guests this week. We are, uh, we're going wide on these guests, which, which I really like. First up, Seth Rollins. If you are a uh, professional wrestling fan, that is a very, very familiar name. It's one of the most accomplished performers in the history of WWE. This week, Saturday, August 21st, from Allegiant Stadium in Paradise, Nevada, Seth Rollins will face Edge. That is part of one of the WWE's huge cards. Uh, Roman Reigns versus John Cena, Bianca Belair versus Sasha Banks. We got uh, a triple threat match. Rhea Ripley, Charlotte Flair, Nikki A.S.H. Uh, SummerSlam is usually a really, really good card. And Seth Rollins comes on uh, to talk about uh, one of the topics I really love talking about on this podcast, and that's sort of the intersection of professional wrestling and media. So Seth takes us behind the scenes on just how he views promotion, how he navigates uh, interviews, um, his philosophy on promos and how he tries to sort of get the crowd either on his side or the crowd to dislike him and how much of that is scripted versus uh, non-scripted in Seth's case now at this point in his career, just about all of it's non-scripted. Uh, and then we get into um, Seth and Becky Lynch. Becky Lynch, uh, real name Rebecca Quinn, that is uh, Seth Rollins' wife, but uh, a uh, massive performer in her own right. Quite frankly, uh, 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 one of the major stars in in the history of uh, the business. Hopefully she'll come back. And we talk about you know them navigating press as a couple and how they might deal with any kind of um, storylines coming together. As uh, Renee Paquette, who's been on this podcast, discussed uh, when she was broadcasting matches of her husband, John Moxley, then Dean Ambrose. Um, and so Seth Rollins was very cool to sort of go into that. I know it's not stuff these guys always go into, but uh, but really appreciate his honesty. And then we finished with navigating social media, which for someone like Seth is massive. You know, more than 4 million uh, Instagram followers. And, um, and so I really enjoyed it. He was an awesome interview and I, I really appreciate his time. All right. And Seth is followed by my colleague at the athletic Scott Doctorman, who is a Iowa based college football writer, but uh, he comes on the podcast to discuss the field of dreams game in Dyersville. He was there, uh, what it was like to be there in person, how many media people were there, what kind of uh, protocols they, the people in the media had to deal with, what kind of access they got and whether Scott expects, uh, MLB, to make this an annual event in Iowa. We also uh, end very quickly on just uh, the future for Iowa State and Iowa with, um, you know, the two big schools in the Big 12 heading to uh, the SEC, Oklahoma and Texas, and, uh, you know, what's going to happen with the Big 10, obviously, when it comes to the Hawkeyes. So Seth Rollins to start, Scott Doctorman to finish, coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, Seth Rollins is one of the most accomplished performers in the history of WWE. 
You can see him weekly on SmackDown Friday nights on Fox. On Saturday, August 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern Time from Allegiant Stadium in Paradise, Nevada. Seth Rollins will face Edge. Other matches on that card include Roman Reigns versus John Cena, Bianca Belair versus Sasha Banks, a triple threat match with Nikki A.S.H., Rhea Ripley, I really like Rhea Ripley, and Charlotte Flair. And you can watch that exclusively on Peacock in the United States and the WWE Network everywhere else. I've long admired the seriousness and dedication Seth Rollins puts into this business. Probably not one of his dreams when he gets into wrestling that he'd be on a sports media podcast, but here he is. Seth Rollins. Seth, how are you? Hey, thank you. Uh, I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. I appreciate you having me on. All right. So um, this is a media podcast. So generally the guests on this podcast are announcers that you've seen, you know, the Joe Bucks and, and, and people like that and sort of get granular in the business. But I've had a lot of wrestlers uh, or people from the wrestling community on. Paul Heyman and Renee Paquette in particular have done this podcast like four or five times. And I'm fascinated with the business because so much of what you guys do really is about communication and your ability, obviously, to connect with an audience that way. So here's where I'd like to start, Seth. Um, Promotion. Obviously, a massive part of your business, something that probably you had to learn sort of how to navigate and do. And so I wonder for you, how do you navigate interviews where some people want you in character and storyline, and then other people want you to talk about the business of wrestling or your career? Uh, man, you know what's the crazy part of our industry is like, it's such there's such a gray area between who we are as performers and who we are as people that it almost trains us to be able to go in and out of it with ease. And so to jump from one interview where, you know, I'm full cackling, ha, 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 Seth Rollins, uh, into, you know, a, a regular podcast where we want to talk about the inside of the business or, or just regular personal stuff. Uh, it's very easy for me, at least over the course of the last 20 years that I've been at this to just kind of weave in and out, uh, and, and figure it out. It's sort of just like wrestling. Sometimes you have a plan going in and then, the audience tells you they want something different and you got to be able to change it up on the fly. So it's all about kind of reading uh, your audience or your interviewer or, or where you're at and, and sort of giving giving what you've got in that arena, I suppose. That's interesting. Um, I happen to just hear uh, Roman Reigns this week uh, do the Sports Illustrated Media podcast, uh, which I used to do before um, moving to The Athletic. And um, he it was he, he did exactly what you, did, you said, Seth. He, he was answering a question about his promos. And he went from sort of talking about the business granularly to basically saying how John Cena is in for a nightmare this week. And he did it like within mid-sentence. And I wonder, <laughs> so my thought when I listened to this was like, does Roman even realize his ability to do this? And I want to ask you the same thing. Like, are you consciously aware when you answer a question as sort of Seth Rollins, the performer to going into Seth Rollins, the character? Uh, yeah, yeah. There is conscious awareness of where you want to take the answer the question. Sometimes it changes mid answer. Sometimes, um, you know, sometimes you're, you're kind of just train of thought drifts, you know, your stream of consciousness turns the answer into something completely different than where you thought you were going to go. But oftentimes, if I know there's something, a conflict that I really want to sell, uh, which is essentially what our business is, um, you know, I will toe the line a little more than if, if, 
if it's just me, if you're just asking me about, you know, say uh, a random performer, you mentioned Rhea Ripley, right? I, I've got, I've got nothing uh, but good things to say about Rhea Ripley because I've got no conflict with her. I've got nothing to sell when it, when it comes to her. And so, but if you ask me about edge, I, I got a lot to say about that guy. So it just depends on, on where we want to take the answer, but there is definitely a conscious awareness of what we need to do in the business that needs to get done. Um, how much do you dictate um, with whom or with what outlet you will speak to? How much do you dictate that? How much does WWE dictate that? Or how much is it maybe a combination of both? Uh, it's a combination of both. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, uh, especially when we have a major event like SummerSlam coming up, you know, they're putting together as much media as they possibly can uh, to try to promote the said show, you know? Uh, and so it, it's on us. They come to us with a lot of requests and what we want to do. And um, it depends, you know, on our schedule, um, the level of the media, uh, if we like the interviewer, stuff like that. I mean, there's lots of stuff going on, but at the end of the day, if, if I say no, you know, they're going to come back and say, okay, this is really important to us or, okay, I understand your concern. We'll, we'll put somebody else in there or we'll just, you know, get rid of it completely. So it's definitely a partnership when it comes to, uh, you know, accepting and rejecting media uh, requests. One of the things I think that WWE has done for a long time, and I think they've done it well, and probably the case with other organizations too, is there, there a lot of times is a priority to get into the main, the quote unquote mainstream press Seth. So like, uh, you know, like where it's like, let's say a people magazine or the tonight show or entertainment tonight might be prioritized higher than a traditional wrestling outlet as a performer. Do you sort of share the same thing as WWE corporate does? Like, is that valuable or beneficial to you? Or perhaps you look, might look at it differently, um, then what is best for uh, still a Triple H line? What is best for business when it comes to WWE? Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's interesting because I'm of the belief that our, our hardcore wrestling fans, which I am one of, you know, I grew up loving the industry from a very young age, uh, followed it all the way through my teens, got deep into it, and obviously that's why I'm doing what I do now. Um, and so, you know, we're going to, stick around us fans like we're, we're gonna we we're we're gonna be available and we're gonna talk wrestling and we're gonna watch the shows and we're gonna break them down and you know talk about who we love and who we don't love and what we what segments we liked and what promos were awesome and we're gonna romanticize future possible matchups or old old matches that we loved or what what have you or all that stuff like that's all gonna exist uh regardless but with WWE and especially with our industry, we really, I love jump trying to push into the mainstream. I love to take someone who knows very little about what we do uh, or maybe has no interest in it at all and kind of giving them a bit of an education on what it is. And you start to see their whole, their whole mindset about what professional wrestling is or can be changed. And you know, now once they're in, they're in, you know, once you hook them, they're in and they're a fan for life. And so uh, I love that. And I love that aspect of the business. And it took me, oh man, it took me forever to understand that reaching people outside of our bubble was the most important possible thing to do. Um, because I was very much a, no, you know, wrestling, 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 hardcore wrestling, you know, this, we got to be true to our fan, all that stuff. I, I was so like that. Um, I'm up probably up until a few years ago where I, I really started to travel the world and see the scope 
of the type of people that would come to our shows uh, and just how many different types of people we touch and can touch if we choose to go that route. Is there, I mean, maybe at this point there isn't any because you've been in the business for a while, but is there any outlet or, or a like what I would sort of fall under the category of like a media outlet that you've always wanted to talk to or be profiled by that you have not at this point? Gosh, that's really tough. I don't know, man. I mean, I've been so fortunate to be, uh, I've done a lot of different types of media over the years, you know, um, ESPN is always cool to me. Uh, I love that. And, and I, you know, I was, I was on, um, the daily show, <laughs> you know, I, wow. I got to do an angle with John Stewart, uh, you know, and so wrestling fan. Yeah. yeah, he's a huge wrestling fan. And, um, you know, I got to be on his show, which is incredible. I got to do the Today Show. Uh, and so, yeah, things like that are pretty wild. Um, you know, I've got to jump on some red carpets to see, uh, not not for my own movies, obviously, but, um, you know, for uh, Cena had us on a red carpet for uh, Dr. Doolittle uh, a couple years back. And, um, you know, I think maybe more of that, more of the Hollywood stuff, just to see what that's all about. Um, I don't. I have to ride my wife's coattails on that, though. That's that's she's going to be the star there, not me. So, um, but yeah, dude, it's it's just very interesting to to see different people's reactions. I don't know if there's anybody off the off the top of my ha- head that I would think that no, I'd love to do that. I, I would say like CNN, but I don't know what interest <laughs> they would have. And and me or in professional wrestling, it's kind of a different animal. That's interesting. Yeah, we will get to uh, we will get to the great Becky Lynch soon enough. Um, I've had uh, Paul Heyman on this podcast many times. I mentioned earlier, and one time he took me through his philosophy of doing promos, how he does it, how much is improv- improvising versus script, how he sort of thinks about them philosophically. Um, one of the differentiators, Seth, and you know, in this business, is how good you are on the mic. And you've been a guy who I think has been universally praised as being excellent on the mic. In terms of your philosophy when it comes to promos, I just I want to ask you a couple of uh, specific questions about that. Just to I think people would find this fascinating. So first and foremost, um, how, between scripted and improvisation, where are you at this point in your career when you do things in front of an audience? Uh lately i mean gosh scripted is so tough because i i don't i would say almost zero percent scripted in the sense that i don't write things down on a piece of paper and like read them and memorize them that way like that that doesn't really work for me um scripted in the sense that uh i have a pretty good idea of what i want to say when i go out to the ring and grab a microphone but it, like i said it's not written down it's it's almost like written in my head you know like on a on a little tablet in my head but there's not there's no piece of paper for me i, I can't i can't do that i can't i can't i've tried it i it just it doesn't fly for me i cannot be authentic in that way especially because you know when you are uh, say you're doing, you know, uh, a play uh, or a TV show or something, there's tons and tons of takes and you've got a script that you do. If you're doing a play, right, if you're on Broadway, you're doing the same thing pretty much every single night. And so you get accustomed to knowing how you should act during certain parts of what you're saying. But wrestling is just different and it's different every week and it's episodic television and it, and it changes so quickly. For me, I just 
script wise, almost nothing is written on a piece of paper for me at this point. It's interesting. Will, when, will you practice whatever you're going to say or you think you're going to say into a mirror, let's say, before the show? Do you do it, let's say, in a walkthrough uh, day of the show? How does how does it work? Because I'm, I would imagine, I mean, I, I shouldn't even guess this, but m- my guess would be that the first time we hear it isn't the first time you say it out loud or say it to yourself. Correct. Most times, yeah. Most times I've, I've run it uh, out loud to myself uh, or to someone that I trust um, before the, sh- not before, maybe, but at least before I go out there. Cause oftentimes before the show, say if the show starts at eight Eastern or whatever, uh, most of the time, and if I just have a promo segment, most of the time is spent kind of um, writing and rewriting it in my head and coming up with different ideas of what I want to say or how I want to get something across or, you know, maybe simplifying an idea or something uh, talking with, some people and trying to figure out, Oh, does that work? Does that work? Uh, maybe we should save that for another week. That doesn't really fit here. What, what's the goal? What's the story I want to accomplish during this promo. And then as we get closer to showtime, then I'll start running it. You know, then I'm in the, in the back, I'm in my suit and I'm just, I'm running it. How do I want to say these things? How do I, what's my inflection going to be here? Like what's my tone? What's, what's the, Am I serious here? Am I having a good time? What's my mood? All that type of stuff. So yeah, it's definitely not the first time uh, that you're hearing the words come out of my, or at least that I'm hearing the words come out of my mouth. Um, but that's that's sort of my process. Um, I, I go over it a, a good amount of times before I go out and say it, but uh, mostly just in my head or from memory. That's interesting. Last week, um, Roman, last couple of weeks, I should say, uh, Roman and Cena uh, in their promos, uh, I'll sort of use the wrestling vernacular here. So they did a little shoot commentary into their promos. Now it could be, you know, like work shoot brother, as everybody would say, they're sort of intentionally saying stuff. But I think wrestling fans, um, and I know I put myself here, we find it fascinating when there's some reality or real life into a promo. And so obviously in Roman's case, he mentioned Dean Ambrose, he mentioned Nikki Bella, in his promos, Cena has, uh, I should say, yeah, Roman did that. Cena mentioned Dean Ambrose. And so for you, Seth, you know, you've mentioned Edge's daughters, I believe, in some promos. How do you um, how do you work that into a promo, the reality of it? And then my sort of second part in this is, do you have to run it by the person you are shooting on to make sure that you don't go over if there is a proverbial line where that person you know, you tick off that person or they feel like you, you, you went to a place that, you know, really sort of went beyond whatever they would be comfortable with. Um, well, everybody's different in that regard. Uh, everybody you go out there and have a promo with or talk about is different. They're all going to, um, kind of have, you know, the line is drawn in different places for each person. Right. So Cena, for example, this is just, a off the top of my head when I've done stuff with him promos with him, he always told me, I don't care what you say while we're out there. Any, anything in front of the camera, I don't care. I'd never take it personal. So he's a guy that's what, you know, let it all fly. And then when we get to the back, it's, you know, it's different. It's work. It's not, not nothing is personal. Um, and sometimes other guys aren't like that. Some, some sometimes there are guys or girls who are very uh, protective about certain parts of their life, um, and they don't want that to be in the public. And you have to respect that as well. Um, 
so yeah, it, it, it definitely, the mileage varies from person to person. Um, but I do think, I would say most of us have been in this game long enough, especially when we get to the level, uh, you know, you mentioned John and Roman where their promos kind of break that wall a little bit. Um, we, they've been in the game long enough where, you know, everyone sort of knows it's business and there's going to be personal jabs in there. But if you can't, if you can't take that stuff, if your skin isn't thick enough, then you're probably in the wrong business. Because like I said, when we started this, you know, it's all about conflict. Conflict is what sells. And so that real life little thing, that one little twist of real, real life, quote unquote, is really going to be sometimes the difference between, um, you know, a, a wrestling story and a, a real story that people get invested in. So especially nowadays when the curtains pulled back so deep. What about for you? Are you do you fall into the Cena camp of when we go out there, uh, it's all business, say whatever you want, or are there lines for you that you don't want anybody crossing in a live promo? Nah, man, go ham, go wild. I'm all for it. <laughs> uh, yeah, again, I, I'm in the John boat. Whatever you want to say, say. Like I said, you got to have thick skin. If you don't have the thick skin, you just you're not in the wrong, the right business. It's it's you have to be tough at the top, especially because everybody wants to you know, jab at you. There's not, there's nothing, you know, Roman Reigns is going to say to me in a ring that 6,000 people haven't said to me on Twitter in the last 24 hours. So, you know, you got to just be able to, you know, take that and move on. All right. For those in um, this audience who don't know, Seth Rollins is married to, uh, in my opinion, one of the greatest performers in the history of professional wrestling. I'm not just kissing Seth ass because he's on a line here. You can go to my Twitter feed. You'll see anything I've said about Becky Lynch. Uh, whose who's, uh, real name is Rebecca Quinn. I'm going to call her Becky for this interview, Seth, if that's okay with you, uh, just to make, make, to make life easier for you. Um, there are very few performers who I appreciate more um, than Becky Lynch. It was interesting to me, Seth, that you two, um, and this gets back to the media thing, you guys discussed when you were expecting your first child together with People Magazine. And so I wonder... Um, it's a very similar question to what I asked you before. When the publicity is about both of you, as opposed to just Seth Rollins, um, how do you two sort of get together and then decide, all right, this is an outlet we're comfortable talking about our personal life with, or this is an outlet we're comfortable in appearing as a married couple together? How, how have you guys navigated that? Gosh, oddly enough, I don't even know we have those conversations. They're not too deep. It's mostly just like, Cause I'm pretty cool with almost anything. Like, um, my, my, I'm all out there for the most part, you know, she's a little more protective. Her character is a little bit different than mine as well. There's a lot more geek, uh, around the man than there is around me. And so, um, I really just kind of in that situation, uh, acquiesce to her, uh, it, it, whatever she's interested in doing. If it's something that she doesn't want to do, I, I rarely force it. I don't think I ever have, um, as a matter of fact, but if it's something that she wants to do, I'm usually all game. So, um, I, I think it, it does me no harm to be doing interviews next to her. Uh, I'm very proud of her. Um, she's a genius, as you mentioned, she's also an incredible person, an incredible mother. And so anytime I'm mentioned, uh, next to her, it's a win for me. Yeah, I agree. Cause, uh, for sure. All right. So this is, this is a very, this is fascinating to me because it gets into like my granular interest in, uh, in what you guys do. So like I mentioned, Renee Paquette has been on this podcast many times. And one of the things she told me was how challenging it was to be on the, uh, raw broadcast 
when her husband, John Moxley, obviously people know, went by Dean Ambrose in the WWE, was on camera. Because she said, Seth, she didn't know if she was supposed to be an announcer and sort of be neutral or acknowledge to the audience that in non-storyline, she's married to this dude in real life. It was very surreal. It sort of crossed all these kind of odd places. Um, if Becky returns to performing, and I think everybody hopes that that happens in some form, have you contemplated this or have you two talked about like, how do you navigate the nexus of real world and storyline? Um, well, I mean, we did it, uh, briefly a couple of years ago, um, before we were married, but we were dating and it had become public and, uh, people were excited about it. And the company came to us and asked us to do, you know, to kind of bring it to the screen, if you will. Um, and, I don't think we, we tried to make the best out of it, but I don't think either of us were terribly comfortable with it. Um, and even though we have like incredible chemistry as people, as performers, our characters never really vibed on screen. And so um, I think it's just kind of one of those things that if she comes back, I more than likely will stay away from it. We just won't touch on it. I mean, if we're, if something calls for it and you know we're in the same segment or the same story in some way i mean there's no way to you can't pretend like it doesn't exist you know it's not it's just not possible we're too high profile for that um but it, it, it's almost like if we're in two separate places you know then no one even thinks about it that much do you know what i mean um and so i've almost had to think about navigating it a little bit now because um, in a couple of my promos and on some of these live events we've been doing now that, you know, we have a live crowd again, we, I, I'll get, we want Becky chance. <laughs> and, uh, I go like, I don't know how to navigate that. I, I'm not exactly sure why, um, people think that's an insult to me. <laughs> you know? I'm like, yeah, yeah. My, my wife's awesome. She's great. I love her. I get why you want her instead of me. I'm also a bad guy. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't, I don't know where the insult comes in here. Like I'm, I'm trying to figure that part out, but I go like, if that happens, how do I, how am I supposed to react to that? You know, like, what do I say? So it's very interesting. Uh, luckily I haven't had to address it yet, but it's one of those things where I just, I, I want to go guys. I'm, it doesn't hurt my feelings. I don't, I don't know what you want me to say. <laughs> it's, it's so interesting you say that. Cause like, I think I understand where you're coming. Like psychologically, your two characters don't really mix. Like you're, I, I totally get where you're coming from. And so the counter to this is like, I think you and Bailey had phenomenal chemistry. That like sort of skit that you guys did when she was in the ring and she's interviewing you, like it, it worked. I don't know if it's because it's sort of like two over the top heel characters who are just vibing, but like that was really good television and so i get it like i understand where you're coming from in that you may have incredible chemistry with becky off screen but if i think of seth rollins at least seth rollins current character now and the man which is like one of the great to me like great character you know anti-hero great characters it doesn't really work in storyline or at least i can't figure it out at this point how it would work yeah i mean even when i was uh you know pre drip god visionary monday night messiah it didn't it didn't work but 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 her character is she's a loner like she doesn't need anybody you know what i mean like it, it's just it's it's so to see her um that character in a relationship is just you know what i mean it doesn't it doesn't feel good it never felt good and so uh, especially now i don't know what it would look like but yeah to, to your point you know the the Seth Rollins and the Bailey characters, their synergy was perfect. It made perfect sense for them to be 
in the ring together, you know, in a promo together. So uh, it's, it's kind of funny how that works. But, yeah, it's just her character's not built for uh, a number two. You know, it's, it's just really not. And so no harm in that. I just don't think we need to touch on it ever again. We'll see what happens. But that's that's how I feel at the moment. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. All right, let's finish up our last five minutes with uh, with a couple of things here. You um you have a massive social media following. Uh, you know, four million plus on Instagram. I didn't look at your Twitter account, but I'm sure it's in the millions and whatever else you're on, Seth. LinkedIn, and, you know, TikTok, <laughs> and God knows what else. So, you know, like this is like significant marketing sort of power, Seth. And you talk to any person, sort of an expert in the business, and like if you were just uh, like some YouTube star, like that's worth millions of dollars. Just the amount of followers you have obviously it's different you're part of a uh, wrestling company a lot of what you send out there is um promotional etc cetera, etc cetera. how 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 do you navigate that world because when um having sort of you know worked in traditional sports there we'll take the nba for example there are some nba guys who uh embrace it and have fun with it there are other nba guys who i personally think it affects their life i just i think they're impacted by the negative stuff and then there are others who just take it or leave it. You know, they'll throw out something and and get away from it. When you have those kind of numbers and that many amount of people who can sort of get into your head if you allow it on a day to day basis, how do you how do you navigate that world? It is very difficult uh, as a person to have to deal with scrutiny on that level. The only way, and I found the only way to truly um, be be kind of you know numb to it is to put it away you you really have to just keep your eyes off of it um because if you you can find whatever you're looking for there you can reinforce whatever you want if you want to find negativity you will find negativity if you want to uh you know inflate your own ego there's plenty of people on there who tell you you're great so you it, it can really just put you in a mental uh, bubble and you live in this little cycle that that uh, you know it's almost it takes you out of the real world and it's very frustrating it can be very uh, very difficult because sometimes that can you know something like that if you put too much stock in it can ruin your whole day I've been victim to it and and if you um, allow it to kind of continually stress you out, especially if you're not happy in other parts of your life, you know, especially with work, if, if you're disappointed in your own performances and then, you know, things aren't going the way you want, you're not in a story you like, or, you know, you didn't have a good night, whatever it may be like, you can go into a dark place on social media if you really want, and then it can end up really affecting other parts of your life. And, um, Truth be told, at, at 35 now, uh, you know, I got an eight-month-old baby. Like, I got I got too much shit going on. Like, I <laughs> I ain't got time for all that negativity, man. I really don't. I just don't. I don't have time for it. Uh, I, I, I like being happy. I like smiling. I like being around my daughter in a good mood. And so um, it's one of those things where 
you just got to put it away sometimes. You just got to understand that it's it's not you. It's Seth Rollins. It's a different part of your life. And you have to put it, compartmentalize it and not let it affect everything that you do because it, it can be a, a pretty a pretty tough place to be sometimes. Yeah, eight months old. I hope you, you guys are getting some rest. I have uh, two, I have twin, boy-girl twins are a little older than that now. But uh, man, I remember... I remember those days. Uh, it seems like a blur at this point. Uh, one last thing on um, on social media, and then I'll finish up with one other quick topic. Um, do you are you one who likes to use um, your social media feeds to sort of continue a uh, storyline? I, I, again, I I, I find that I'm not sure I have seen somebody use, let's say Twitter for instance, better than Becky. Like I remember last month she tweeted. I might as well go to it so I read it exactly. Oh yeah, here it is. Okay. Breastfeeding at home and still the most over woman in the division. That's phenomenal. Like that keeps her um, front and center in people's mind. It's also such a great line. Like it's just such a money line for, I wouldn't even say heel or face. It's just a good, it's just such a killer line. But she has been one who has totally used Twitter to like continue storyline and honestly just promo beat down on people. Is that something that you 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 do or you want to do or can you i don't know can you blur the lines i guess of social media to get the rollins character in there or is or is that only for the gifted few like your wife uh yeah i mean she's special when it comes to that i I don't know that there's anybody who who does it quite as well as her um and and she's created such a reputation uh on it that that's what people sort of expect um when i've tried to do it it's it's funny because when I try or I have done it, it, it just it doesn't come off the same. I, I've gotten more attention from tweets that have been just honest tweets um, than from storyline tweets. And so to me, I just I go, I, I think people have already once, once they've uh, they have an expectation for what what your Twitter is or what the tweets are going to look like. It's really hard to change that. And so she's got her set up in, in a perfect way where she is so much gray area. No one knows, you know, no one there's, like I said, she's got such a mystique about the man that she's able to, to just play with people like pup, you know, like she's a puppet master. And so it's, it's beautiful to watch. I don't think I can ever get to that level just based on my Twitter history alone. Um, and so yeah, I, I I use it sometimes, not to great effect. Um, most of the time, it's just like you know, chills for my wrestling school or you know, an event that I have coming up, Co- coffee shop. Yeah, right? yeah, like, just yeah. stuff like that. So I I, uh, I I use it more for news than anything these days. All right, last question for Seth Rollins, and I'll just note that uh, he's got I think a number of coffee shops now in Iowa. Head to his Instagram feed. Uh, you can check that out. Anybody who owns a coffee shop is generally a very cool person. So props to you on that. <laughs> um, all right. Last one here is, you know, you're 35. So, you know, that is young in wrestling, even with all the bumps your body has taken, you'll be able to perform pretty much as long as you want. But I, I could totally see you working as a heel or baby face commentator down the road. If that interests you, doesn't, does broadcasting at all, uh, have any interest for you, uh, down the road in terms of, and even if it's not full-time, just sort of uh, uh, being in that part of the business. Gosh, I don't know, man. I don't know. Furthering. I don't know. I, I watch those guys do it and I'm friends with them. Um, 
maybe in like a Pat McAfee role. <laughs> yeah. Pat, Pat's great. Cause like, you know, the other, I feel like the other guys take it so seriously and God bless them. They're incredible at what they do. And then Pat just shows up and just flies by the seat of his pants, but his energy level is off the charts. So, um, if I could just wing it, that sounds great. Um, but I, I don't know, man, I don't know what my future looks like after I'm, I'm done in the ring. Uh, I, I assume I'll be, a part of the business in some form or fashion, you know, I've dedicated my whole life to it essentially. And, you know, it's given me a great life, allowed me to provide for my family. Um, like I said, start a wrestling school, invest in a coffee shop, which is, you know, giving people jobs in my local area and, and created a cool little culture. And so uh, I imagine I'll probably stick with wrestling in some form or fashion broadcasting. I don't know. Who's to say? But um, yeah, I mean, like I said, if I can just wing it every once in a while, why not? Seth Rollins, uh, if you are a fan of WWE, uh, he really doesn't need any introduction. Uh, he is one of the uh, uh, the most accomplished performers in that world. Uh, you watch him on SmackDown for the purposes of this podcast, given it is this week. SummerSlam, huge, huge card for the WWE. Saturday, August 21st from Allegiant Stadium in Paradise, Nevada. It is Seth Rollins against Edge, among other excellent matches, Reigns and Cena, Bianca and Sasha. Seth, I really enjoyed uh, this conversation. Thanks a lot. I appreciate I know uh, um, it's not every day you guys uh, sort of are willing to take people a little bit behind the scenes. So I, I sincerely appreciate it. Best of luck uh, with the rest of uh, everything. And thanks so much for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Hey, thank you for having me, man. You were right. You did ask some questions that I had not been asked before. So that's, that's not an easy feat. Nah, I appreciate that, Seth. Be well. Thank you. Best to, your, uh, best, to your new, best to your young baby, man. That's awesome. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League Podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. All right, as I said at the top, the Athletics Scott Docterman is an Iowa-based college football writer, uh, usually based in Iowa City. But for the purposes of this podcast, happened to cover the Field of Dream game in Dyersville, Iowa, for the Athletic, and pleased to be joined by Scott Docterman about that experience. Scott, how are you? I'm doing great, Richard. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. So let's let's uh, sort of start big here. What were your expectations going into this game? And I know that you had done some pieces about um, building the field and uh, the groundskeeping of it. So um, so you were there throughout the journey. What did you expect uh, this to be? I expected it to be really cool. I, I knew kind of what was going to be involved here. I knew Major League Baseball had a lot going on and wanted it to succeed so I figured it was going to come off and look really cool um, though the more it got the more it got closer the more I wondered I'm like okay hopefully Iowa doesn't screw this up somehow uh, that's actually kind of some of the fears I had going into it but but when you go 
to when you went when I went to the facility there uh, and kind of walked around, I saw what they were planning to do with the stadium. And then when I got in, and I looked at all of what Murray Cook did with the field. I could tell, okay, this is going to be special. It's going to be, it's going to look amazing on television. It's going to be great for the people there. Um, but ultimately, uh, everything exceeded my expectations. It went off without a hitch, and and of course, the game itself kind of exceeded all of my expectations for what turned out to be kind of a, a special night for uh, Major League Baseball for the teams and and for the state of Iowa. What was the process to get credentialed for the game? I had to go through uh, Major League Baseball, uh, not not necessarily through the club. So uh, that was through our uh, you know our staff, Emma Span, you know, who handles uh, credentialing for Major League Base or for us anyway, and went through her. It wasn't hard. There were a lot of local reporters there as well as national and uh, team based reporters. So I would say it was a pretty full press box, probably close to I would say a hundred writing reporters, but for both online and newspaper, and and then there. There's probably half that number, maybe 50 visual journalists, whether that was photo- photographers or television uh, cameras, mostly from Chicago or from Iowa. Where do people sit, uh, media people sit for the game? Yeah, there were two press boxes, uh, one kind of to the right or kind of between home plate and kind of going up the first base dugout or that side of the field for kind of the TV booth, uh, radio booths. Um, and cameras, and then kind of to the to the left, which was more in, from third base over to to home plate, which was where kind of the writing media was. And then there was a different media center that was kind of off the uh, off the grounds a little bit. It was pretty close to the Chicago White Sox locker room, so you just kind of had to walk over there. And uh, it was uh, it, you know it was a great view of the field. The only the only person I I felt bad for was who I was sitting next to, Marley Rivera from ESPN New York, because uh, she had a pole right in front of her, and so I was trying to move over a little bit, let her see. And, and but but other than that, the views were great for everybody else except Marley, and uh, certainly it was uh, it, you could see everything going on on the field. What kind of access, Scott, did media uh, have uh, prior and after the game? Yeah, there was the typical field and and uh, dugout access. Uh, players were able to to talk, uh, you know, without masks, or you could go right up to them. Just kind of the, like the old days of covering Major League Baseball. Uh, they were on the field, they were in the corn, they were everywhere, and and they had no problems, no reservations whatsoever talking to them. And then a few of the stars, uh, star players, a couple for each team, both managers spoke before and after the game in the media center. So uh, th- there was a lot of access there and it was uh it was different it was unique and it kind of brought us back to what life was like pre-covid in some of our interviews but then also um i think everybody kind of realized the the importance and necessity and the specialness of the game and and so mo- almost everybody was willing to talk no matter if it was on the field before the game or uh anywhere afterwards what uh were there any protocols that um that the credentialed media had to follow in terms of masking, in terms of social distance or anything like that? Yeah, there were two. I mean, everybody had to present a vaccination card to get in. And uh, and once you got in, uh, the only other requirement was in the media center, which was indoors, uh, to, to wear a mask. Um, you know, the press box was open and you know, everywhere around was open. So there was no need to wear masks uh, anywhere else, or at least that was not the requirement. Can you give uh, my listeners a sense of um, of uh, 
how this uh, was played in Iowa um, in terms of the lead up, how big a story was it? So like in relation to whatever the traditional news story of the day would be, where did this uh, where did this MLB event sort of rank there? Yeah, it started to grow in interest and importance, kind of, I would say, uh, a little bit before the 4th of July, and it just kind of started to soar and, and a groundswell of interest grew. And then in the final week leading up to the game, uh, once the, the lottery for tickets was released, it was, uh, I hadn't seen anything like this since except maybe a few big uh, college basketball or football games, but in that night itself, it was the biggest story in the state, no question. And and it was really, uh, you know, in, in kind of examining it, the interest coupled with uh, the way the game played out, it, it might be the biggest sporting event in state history. There was only one, one other event that I think compares and, uh, you know, it would take me some time to give it the proper nuance to figure it out. But that was a one versus two uh, college football game between Iowa and Michigan in 1985. But it was it was the talk about story of the state. And it certainly uh, even some of the people who are kind of agitated for a couple of reasons. One, you have uh, the TV blackout policy. Iowa surrounded by six different uh, Major League Baseball teams on its border, and uh, they all overlap one another, and it really kind of irritates people. And then, two, uh, when MLB did its downsizing of the minor leagues, two teams were discontinued at that level. And so, but I think even some of those people kind of came around, and it was by far the, the 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 most talked about story, let's say, in the state, no matter what. One of the uh, you know one of the sort of storylines um, for this game, at least if you were watching nationally. You know, was that Iowa does not have any, prof- you know, big professional sports teams. Um, so I wanted to just get a sense from you. Like I grew up uh, in New York or in and around New York. And so like, you know, it's a pro- it's a pro sports town. What we don't really have is sort of mega uh, college sports and certainly no mega college football team. I mean, St. John's once upon a time was a power, but those sort of days are long gone. So when it comes to Iowa, while you obviously can drive to major league cities, is it very much a college state because of the prominence of the University of Iowa, uh, Iowa State University, and the fact that at least within the proper geography of the state, there's no pro teams? Yeah, I would say so. Uh, you know, the University of Iowa kind of captures the eastern part of the state. It kind of tilts more Great Lakes in its kind of views. It looks at Chicago as kind of its mecca area. It's only about three and a half hours west of the Chicagoland area. So the eastern Iowa, I would say, is, is diehard Iowa football and basketball. And then central Iowa and western Iowa is a little bit more tilted towards Iowa State. So college sports are the biggest uh, entities, sports entities in the state. And But it is, it's there are some very passionate people, and, and the majority are, about primarily, I would say, the NFL and Major League Baseball. And uh, the, out of the six teams that circle the state in Major League Baseball, the Cubs and Cardinals are really 1A, one one depending on which county you're in, in in Iowa and and the others have have their fan bases too the twins probably be in third but but by and large it's it's really Cubs Cardinals country and then in football it's kind of divided four ways um, the Packers the Bears the Vikings and the Chiefs all uh, claim a, a big portion of it so uh, but you know they're very passionate fan bases but if you were to ask anybody name your absolute number one team it's probably the the college team that you follow it's interesting yeah it's one state I've never been to although I've heard uh, amazing things about Des Moines uh, there's like a very big uh, maybe because some of it has to do with the Meredith corporation there's kind of like a, it's a little bit of a media 
uh, place to live uh, from what I've heard about Des Moines. A lot of media professionals. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a growing area. I mean, there's a lot of insurance and a lot of media with the Meredith Corporation, as you said. And about every four years or so, uh, leading into the Iowa caucuses, it gets crisscrossed quite well. And, and uh, you know, sometimes there's a little bit of a, a nervousness, an insecurity among Iowans when, when that happens, whether it's the Iowa caucuses or even the event last week that, oh, my God, who's going to uh, complain about the lack of almond milk or something? And, and of course, it's there. It's just, you know, somebody has to, to be a, a smart ass but but uh you know r really the thing about this state you know that you've got a lot of earnest people it kind of projects an, an almost an innocence uh and you know it's beautiful and heartwarming the corn and everything like that but but I, I would say that the state is a little bit different you know central iowa is different than eastern iowa i would say central and western iowa are a little bit more conf other than des moines it's probably a little more conservative eastern iowa is a little bit more tilts left so it, it kind of makes it a battleground and it's really fascinating when you kind of examine the politics and then of course just the uh, the, the varied interests that people have here yeah, I, I, every couple of years, Scott, I start reading about the Iowa caucuses, and it reminds me of all the previous years I read about it and still don't really exactly understand uh, how it works. But it, is, it's a, it's, it remains a fascinating state, obviously, just because of, uh, of its importance in terms of being the first in the nation. Um, one of the things that, uh, and I think you reported this for The Athletic because uh, you were at the press conference, was that Rob Manfred said that um, baseball is coming back and there'll be another game next August did not announce the teams, although, you know, I don't think you need to be a detective to figure out it's probably going to be the Cubs, at least in some form or fashion. Uh, the real question, though, and I think you give me a, you'll give me a better sense of this than sort of my own, you know, 10,000 foot perspective uh, from here in Toronto. And, and that would be whether this can truly become an annual event after after next year, because the real the sort of the thing to me, Scott, where it comes down to is for a lot of these kind of events is can you make something an annual where the place is so special that you could go there year after year after year, sort of like the masters, or does it have to become almost like a winter classic in that it goes to sort of different, interesting, unique places where they can play a baseball game. My take is that the field of dreams site would work as an annual. I just think it's so cool in itself that if you switch up the teams, um, I think people would be interested in the game, no matter what. You just don't see people hitting home runs into into cornfields. But I wonder from your perspective, which is very unique being in state, how do you see it? Yeah, I kind of see it the same way. You don't want it to turn into a cliche where people roll their eyes. Oh, great! You know, here we go uh, again. Here's the <laughs> the Field of Dreams game, and I don't I don't see that happening locally. I, I think you know you you are concerned a little bit nationally, but I think it's got a place. Now, will it match what happened last week? No, uh, the dr the dramatic end of the game, you know, far exceeded what anybody thought. So I don't, you know, I, I don't know that you'll ever get a game that dramatic. But if, you know, next year, let's say it's the Cubs versus the Cardinals, there will be a very passionate group of people that not only will be there, but but will, you know, view it. And then in the in the future, you, you start throwing a, you know, a Dodgers or, uh, you know, a Phillies, a Brewers, a Twins. You know, I, I think, you know, if there is maybe that low uh, that regional national perspective i think it'll go off well and it wouldn't surprise me at all i mean you know maybe fox captures it for the next few years maybe it maybe it moves to a sunday night in espn uh, i think that would also work really well and you know the, the one thing they have to be cognizant of is once you reach probably mid to late august people's tension starts to slip here uh, towards 
towards all kinds of football, preseason football, college football. So I think that they hit the right spot, which was kind of early August. And I, I think everybody would be very interested to see this. You know, there are some small little tweaks, whether it's parking and Wi-Fi, you know, the small annoyances for, for media that we complain about that nobody else cares about. But but other than that, I think it, it could go off really well as long as they don't get, pardon the pun, too corny. Yeah, I, I will say this as someone who covers television. Fox is not giving that game up, Scott. Uh, there's, no, there's no chance they'll put it if they have to. They'll put Sunday. They'll put it on Sunday night on a network, and it'll be ESPN. Uh, anyway, but that, that's an interesting take. All right, before I let you go, I just want to switch gears for a second because obviously I don't get to talk to a lot of people in Iowa, and I wonder um, from your perspective what what has been the reaction in the state to the um, to Oklahoma and Texas heading to the SEC, which obviously affects Iowa State in the Big 12, and then also would affect Iowa in the Big 10, because, you know, there there really is this notion now that, uh, you know, we're looking at probably very limited power conferences as we head forward. I feel like the Big 12 feels like it's going to be left behind. The Big 10 obviously has to make some decisions in terms of if it wants to be on the same tier as the SEC. But you're, you know, you're in this unique place where you have two of those teams in your state. So how how's that been playing in your state? Well, uh, you know, before the Field of Dreams game and, and now afterwards, it's going to be command the most attention sports-wise. And, yeah, there's a lot of, on the Iowa State part of things, there's a lot of fear. And not from the football program, they're pretty much locked into the season because they're gearing up for may, what may be their most special season in history. Uh, but for the fans, they are pretty upset. They've gone through this before, uh, 2010, 2011. There was a lot of uncertainty. They felt like they were in a good place. And the program, had, uh, you know, there's not a lot of history with Iowa Iowa State, so they they felt like they were in a good place, and here they go. They're uh, now kind of you know scrambling and, and unsure what the future does hold, uh, which is really unfortunate because they've done a lot there. I mean, 15 years ago, Iowa State was probably the bottom of the barrel among Power Five programs. It very easily could have slipped off, but uh, they've expanded the stadium. They've had great attendance numbers. Uh, they're clearly uh, among the better teams in the country now. I don't know if that'll continue, uh, but there. So there is a lot of uncertainty and fear, and they want to know what's next. And there's <laughs> there are no answers to that. Um, the Iowa point of view, I think it's uh, you know that, that that's a huge rivalry. So they really don't want to have anything to do with Iowa State in the Big Ten. I think there would be some massive resistance to that from from people local, from the also from the the schools themselves. The Board of Regents governs governs both entities plus Northern Iowa. Uh, they've kind of absolved themselves from conference matters. So uh, I I think what the Iowa angle is, and from people kind of throughout the Big Ten is what's the Big Ten? How's the Big Ten going to respond? Because they knew with Jim Delaney guiding the ship that something was going to happen. It could be nothing, but he was going to say something or do something to make them kind of feel like they were in charge and they were they had a great plan coming out of this. And they're not really sure what to expect from Kevin Warren. So I think there's kind of some uncertainty there. I, I don't know that there's you know what they want to do. That's that remains to be seen. But uh, I'd say on the Iowa State State things uh, side of things, they are very much concerned about their future because it would take a massive financial hit. And then you look at everything that they've done, the, the facility upgrades, uh, you know, Matt Campbell as head coach, uh, you know, trying to keep up even basketball wise, uh, you know, that that would really put a lot of that in jeopardy and they would probably lose the, their best coaches and then they would kind of fall to at least second tier status within the state. 
Hmm, that's a really interesting insight. Thank you for that. The Athletic Scott Docterman is an Iowa-based college football writer. He covered the Field of Dreams game last week in Dyersville, Iowa, which uh, was just an unbelievably massive success for Major League Baseball and for Fox, nearly 6 million viewers for a regular season game, most since 2005. Scott, keep up the great work, and thank you very much uh, for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Richard. I really appreciate it. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Seth Rollins and Scott Docterman for their uh, for their insights and their conversations. Two guys from Iowa. In fact, Seth Rollins born in Buffalo, Iowa. And so, uh, so this will be the Iowa version of the sports media podcast. If you like these kind of conversations, please head to the Sports Media Richard Deitch page. Leave us a five-star review and a nice note. That's how the podcast continues. Last couple podcasts, uh, ESPN's David Purdom on the intersection of gambling and the sports media. Mirren Fader on her new biography on Giannis. Rebecca Lowe of NBC Sports came on from Tokyo to uh, talk about what that experience was like from her as well as prepping for the Premier League. Before that, Kavitha Davidson on declining Olympic viewership and how Simone Biles was covered. And then just go through the list of people we've had on lately. Jamel Hill, Mike Golick, Michael Kay, Ian Dark, uh, all sorts of... uh, all sorts of people who hopefully you will find interesting in terms of their conversations. Uh, As always, thank you to Patrick Antonetti for producing this podcast. Thanks to everybody at Cadence 13 for their support. Thanks to you, of course, for listening. And we'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.